Hey folks, Force Captain Meph here. We have some really exciting things coming up for our Patreon members in the next few months. Like, I don't know, this Thursday? That's right, this Thursday, uh, February 17th, that's 2.17, at 8 p.m., 9 Eastern. We're, we're doing a live watch, y'all. That's right. You get to hang out with me and Jenny, watching an episode. What episode, might you ask? Why, roll with it, the epic battle of the Citadel. We're going to be having it on our Patreon-only Discord server. So if you want to join us, head over to our Patreon and sign up for our Friends of the Rebellion $5 level. But it's not all just live watches here. You're going to be getting mailbag episodes, early accesses to our playlists, live chats. We have so much lined up. So, so, so much more. So why don't you come on by to our Patreon and join us at patreon.com slash cast. Hey Rebellion, quick content warning here. This episode contains non-sexually explicit discussions of terms surrounding BDSM. You can check the show notes for the timestamp. Hey folks, and welcome to Hey Adora, your queer she podcast. I'm Force Captain Meph, they them. And I am Princess Jenny, she her. Today we are discussing Season 2, Episode 2, Ties That Bind. Ties That Bind is written by Laura Shreepney, storyboard by Karen Go, Diane Ha, Angela Kim, and Sam Siminski, directed by Stephanie Stein and Dee Woman. Word. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Meth. This episode is chock full of, of glitter goodness, and I'm here for that ship. Oh my gosh, this is a fun episode. It's a super fun episode. It's got Sess. it's got hyper protective Scorpia. Which we love to see. Which we love to see. It's got some good sweet baby Kyle. A little bit. Yeah. It's yeah. got some swift wind. It's got now some in song while he's doing stuff because he just loves to do everything that he's doing all the time. <laughs> I like Swiftwind, y'all. I love Swiftwind. And, you know, we get to see more of who he is in this episode than we've seen thus far. We do. And we get some good parallel plots. We do. This is is a basic side-by-side plot episode. We've got two groups of people Mm -hmm. getting up to some hijinks. Yep. Wacky hijinks. Let's just jump right in. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's jump right in. So our opening shot is in Drill. Mm Mm-hmm. Occupied drill. Occupied drill. We got horde horde banners yes. fucking everywhere. Yes. And so later in the episode, Glimmer refers to the castle of drill by name. So I'm just going to refer to it by its name now. It's the Crypto Castle. Okay. That's the name of the castle in drill. Crypto means sure. hidden yep. or secret yep. from the Greek word cryptos. Nice. Which makes sense because this is a... A hidden castle in yep. many ways. Hard yep. to find. And once you're there, hard to find your way out. Hard to find your way out. Also, it so, makes sense with the name Entrapta. Yes, indeed. So All these all these things coming out. All these things are so wonderful. So our opening shot, we see a big horde flag flying over the entrance to the crypto castle. And then the shot pans up and we see Catra herself, who is standing majestically atop the castle entrance like a boss. Yeah, that's a fucking power stance. That is, that some, is a full power stance. That is a full power power lesbian power stance. Mm-hmm. She's got the wind majestically mm-hmm. flowing through her hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's got like, she is the winningest of winning right now. She's winning yeah. the fuck out of this She's moment. She's in her element. And then the POV flips and we're looking from over her shoulder behind her so we can see on the ground in the courtyard all those horde tanks and yep. horde troops. So the horde has 100% occupied drill, 
which, you know, is mostly a formality since Entrapta is living with them now. It feels good, right? It feels good. Absolutely. Yeah. She's the boss of all she surveys. Mm hmm. Exactly. You know, she's like Ozymandias. She's like cat lesbian Ozymandias. I don't know who that is, but I'm sure you're right. It's a poem by Percival Shelley. Mr. Percy Shelley, and it is written about uh, Pharaoh Ramsey, ah. right? And it's kind of a super famous poem. It has uh, the the line in here: "My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look upon my works, ye mighty, and despair." Nice, right? So that's like you know, like absolutely. That is the poem that embodies the power stance. We're feeling it. We're all feeling it. Catra's feeling it. And and even though we, some of us might not be warmongers in this moment, we might be feeling like, fuck yeah, Catra, you do you. We, you know, we we are not warmongers here at Heyador. We take a pretty solid anti-war yes, stance Yes, we here, do. But we also take a pretty solid pro-Catra, hey. Yeah, yeah you know, she's on her journey and she has to get there. Anyway, here she is now doing her thing. And then she says to her, she's got her little horde iPad. She says to whoever's Mm -hmm. on the other side of the horde pad, the city's forces have fled. Drill is ours. Yeah, I like, I also have here horde FaceTime. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's another one of those great transitions that they do a lot where someone's talking on a screen and then you see them Mm -hmm. on the screen Mm -hmm. and then you zoom out to see who Mm -hmm. is seeing them on the screen. And of course it's Scorpia. On the other end of the chat. It's Scorpia. I love this. Scorpia walking through and trapped his yep. castle. And I just want to talk about the castle paintings again because I noticed uh, um, inconsistency. Sure. I love fucking ca- uh, Entrapta's castle. I love all of the paintings because yes. they're always they wacky. Wackadoo. So there were... So uh, we probably pointed this out in the last one, but she has a painting of a unicorn flying T-Rex, right? Is so like that that's the thing what that, that she is? Because I looked that long and hard and then I decided not to describe it because I couldn't describe it. It was like a pegacorn, but like with tiny fetal yeah. legs, little stumps. Yeah. And like, like a star on the eye. Yeah. Yeah. It's so a very cool animal. Yeah. So it's fucking cool, but did you notice as Scorpio was walking by that every time Scorpio walked by, even though it was a different painting before that, there are like two or three of them next to each other. So there's like an inconsistency where we see the unicorn flying T-Rex and then another painting of the unicorn flying T-Rex and then another painting of the unicorn in a row. And I'm like, wow, she must really like that painting. No, no. I did not notice that. I will give you the gold star for noticing the inconsistent unicorn T-Rex paintings. But you know what? I feel like it works in everybody's favor. It's always, it always works in everyone's favor when Entrapta's castle is confusing. Oh, yeah. It it works in in our favor in the scene because it's sort of setting up something for later. Fact that Scorpia Mm -hmm. is going to get a little confused herself, but we're not there yet. She's just walking right now. And she says the same thing to Catra that we just said. When when Catra says, you know, drill is ours. The forces have fled. Scorpia says, Mm -hmm. all right. I mean, I guess it kind of already was ours since their princess is on our side and all. But, But the banners, they really make it feel official. I know, I love that. I, she's so fucking positive in this episode. And she always is. I know, she's... Aw, Scorpia is our number one marshmallow. You know, know, she would be the Aww. best life coach. She would. Absolutely. 
She would. I love I love Scorpia as coach. I think that's my yes. favorite like imagined archetype of Scorpia. Absolutely. Any kind of coach. Any kind of coach. A volleyball Absolutely. coach. A life mm-hmm. coach. Mm-hmm. You know, your astrologer. Sure. sure. Anyway, sure. we have a, a tiny but important exchange here. Catcher asks Scorpia, mm-hmm. where are you? Scorpia says, that is a great question. And the answer is, I do not know. I love that delivery. Because yes, we know this <laughs> we know this castle so is very labyrinthine. Catra rolls yep. her eyes. And, and then you want to f- finish off what's happening here, Meth? Uh, so this sets up um, Chekhov's comm badge. That is exactly what I wrote. I wrote, <laughs> Chekhov's, I wrote comm Chekhov's comm badge locator app. Yes. Yep. <laughs> It's it's like when you can't find your iPhone, so you have to like log in and press the where is my iPhone, and it only tells you that it's in your house. I mean, I don't have an iPhone, but I can imagine. Yes. So we have established here that Catra can tap her com badge, and someone with a horrid iPad can then track it. Mm-hmm. Duly noted. I that will. I don't know, uh, Jenny. I think that may it come might into not. play later Who on. Knows? It, might, it not. might be. It might not re- be relevant past this moment. We just got to get Scorpia out of this nah. castle, man. So, so let's get Scorpia out yes. of this castle. But before we do that, we have the theme song. Yeah, and actually, my last little note for that tiny scene is Catra is in her happy place of commanding an invading army and frisks off to start doing all the things. She does. She like four legged frisks off like yeah, a happy kitty. She's just having the time of her life and. Devoid of implications for what will the outcome be, we just love to see Katra happy. We do really love to see Katra happy. And I, this episode also has some peak, like, Katra is acting like a cat yeah. moments. Like, sometimes we, we, we get more Katra acts like a human. And I feel like later on in the series, we get less cat moments and uh, more, like, shoot, like, anthropomorphic people moments. I was not thinking so much that she was acting like a cat in this episode. I was thinking more that she was acting like a brat. Oh, we're Very similar word. But honestly, I didn't really think cat so much. I was thinking this is my peak, dear, dear friend, peak bratty bottom Catra. Oh, my dear, dear friends. You have no <laughs> idea what I have for one of my professor smart I'm brain sure moments. You've got plenty in store for us. So anyway, then we get some credits. I do. Credits, 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 credits. We're going to win in the end or do we? Probably. Yes, we, we will. We, probably. <laughs> we will. In the training room, we got some holographic whispering woods situation. We've hmm. got thunk, thunk, thunking. What could be causing that? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. What is it's it? It's another giant horde bot trashing the forest. Gr- and I wrote grunting Shira to the rescue. Oh, my God. And I have this is one of my gayest Absolutely. moments. Absolutely. Was it was it the unnecessary sword, s- sword twirling? You know it was. <laughs> you know it was. You know it was fucking Adora's gay ass sword twirls while she was fighting as Shira and then afterwards when she was Adora. Because yeah. she, you know, like she's really getting getting her head around this now she's getting some skills and so of course she's getting kind of cocky yeah and she's definitely doing some cocky daddy adora here and we'd love to see it it. love to see it we dig it we dig it and then uh when she does transform the weapon i have a small installment of today's weapons corner yay weapons corner so today's weapons corner, the thing that her weapon transforms into is called a grappling gun. Ooh, tell me more. And where I started, where I started from, I'm always going to tell you where I started from to get to this real term, is Great. I googled gun that shoots rope with a hook. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you. <laughs> I, I feel 
like this is also a lesson and like like uh search term analytics like how do yeah. i get to this why ask yeah, jenny <laughs> and also like this gives you a window into how much of a pacifist i am and how little i know about weapons anyway grappling guns are high-tech pistols that fire small grappling hooks on monofilament wire once the hook is secure, a button press will activate a powerful motorized pulley system that will allow the user to make a quick ascent to a higher point, such as a rooftop. Oh, like Batman. Exactly like Batman. You don't even know how right you are. I'm very when right. When you say like Batman, because the next thing I found out about this is that it's not really a real thing. It's actually just from Batman. Just a Batman thing. <laughs> yeah, because when I when I Googled it and when I was trying to find like a real version of one, I quickly found out that there aren't really real versions of this aside from a few people have made homemade versions of it and you can see it on YouTube and they're all like, just like on Batman. Oh my God. You know, I like a this. real life version of the thing from Batman. A real life Batman tool. Yeah. So there are a few YouTube videos and there's an article on Nerdist, but so it's not really a real thing. Okay. The closest real thing is a grappling hook mm-hmm. on a rope, mm-hmm. which is low tech, obviously. That yeah. was, uh, grappling hooks were invented by the Romans in approximately 260 BCE. It was originally used in naval warfare to catch ship rigging so that it could be boarded. Oh, cool. Yes. But so the grappling gun first appeared in Tim Burton's 1989 Batman I, film. I remember watching that as a kid and be thinking that was the coolest thing. And then every time we played Batman, we would like f- try to figure out some way to make that happen. It, yeah. I mean, people have figured it out, but they're gas powered, I guess. Oh. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's never going to have it's never going to have the power of the of the Batman version. Yep. And there were also some compressed air guns that I saw. Yeah. But the the difference is that there's no button to press to turn it into a pulley to zip you up. Right. Like you can shoot you can shoot the the rope with the hook out of the gun, but then you still have to just climb the rope manually. I'm thinking like the physics around that is not particularly possible, but I could be wrong. I, I'm not a physicist. If you are, please write in. Let me know if this it is looks possible. great in a cartoon it anyway. It does look great in a cartoon. Shira makes great use of her grappling gun. Hooray! And she does such a good job evading her enemy and, you know, flipping on over it that she walks away with her eyes closed as she Damn. does more unnecessary flair. Love That's it. Wicked gay. Wicked fucking gay. As the holographic forest turns back into the training room behind her. Oh, I love it. And she like shoots out a, whew, I'm getting pretty good, huh? And you know, Light yeah. Hope is like, you have shown improvement, but your attack would have been 57% more effective if you had support from your steed. It is time to bring Swift Wind into your training. And Adora's like, well, shouldn't I get better first? And- yeah, and I don't understand why Adora is so unenthusiastic about this and has so much resistance. Yeah, I kind of don't get it either. I, I feel like the, I might be reaching here. I feel like this is just more of Adora being like, I have to do it myself kind of mentality, but like. I mean, definitely that's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. But we've seen from the beginning that she is a lesbian horse girl. Yeah, exactly. Why wouldn't she, she want her lost horse? Her entire mind every time she's gotten near a horse right. and this is her her sacred soul bond horse maybe she like that can talk and fly maybe she just kind of doesn't like them that much no i don't think that's it i think they just needed her to have resistance yeah. for the sake of this plot yeah and yeah. you know the best reasoning that i can give is that she still feels 
that she can't be a good team member until she can count on her skills 100,000%. I see that. I see that. I feel like that's the only justification I can give. No, no, no. I'll take that. I'll take that as, as the answer. That makes sense. Okay. So while they're having this little exchange, Swift Wind's adorable head pops through Light Hope's <laughs> holographic head. I love as this. As he enthusiastically agrees that his presence is necessary. I love this. I love this so much. Hi, Comrade Swifty. You're the best. We love you here at Hey Adora. Yes. And I have his entrance as another gayest moment. Oh, please explain. Particularly the moment when he, uh, after he says, I've been here a while, but there wasn't a good time for me to make my grand entrance mm-hmm. until now. Okay, And then yeah. as he says at the end of that proclamation, he tosses his mane and it sparkles majestically. Okay. That's the gayest moment. Yeah, I think a sparkling, sparkling hair majestic Horse anytime a un anytime a unicorn tosses its mane and it sparkles majestically, that's gay. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That is I incredibly mean, gay. Yes, and then Light Hope says the time has come for the two of you to forge your glitch, 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 and then she turns into a cubist painting. So what I <laughs> and I just wrote in all caps. Just hit the side. Because that's, <laughs> that's what, oh, you know, if something glitches out, you know, it's like on the, all right. those old TV shows, right? They're right. just like, this doesn't work. I'm going to hit the TV. What could possibly but go Light wrong? Hope but you can't do that with Light not Hope. not solid. Right. She doesn't have any mass. So you can't hit the side. So there's nothing to hit. So time to go. So now we have the beginning of our, our parallel plots because we mm-hmm. have a hard cut there to Bow and Glimmer in the Bright Moon Castle. Mm-hmm. What do you mean Entrapped is alive? Okay, great. Let's go to drill and rescue her. So yep. that's basically, you know, that's what's happening. Basically now. what we have here. Yep. Kind of exposition, exposition, exposition. They establish that they're going to go just the two of them because Glimmer doesn't want to bother Adora from her training and yep. she doesn't want to bring any of the other princesses because that's how we got in this mess. Yeah. You know, if we bring anyone else along, they might also get captured. And, you know, she's already forgotten the whole Stronger Together lesson that was the whole summation of season one. Yeah, yeah. And the last episode. And the last episode. So... And everything that's happened so far. But it just goes to show, again, that growth is not perfectly linear. That's true. It's not like we learn life lessons and then bank them. And it's like, okay, I know that now. And because I know that, mm-hmm. my subconscious will never sabotage me again, right? Yeah, what could possibly go Now that go I wrong? know that I gravitate towards people that are bad for me in this one specific <laughs> way, I'm never going to fall for someone like that again, right? Because I, I know it now. Uh, uh, oh, if only it were that simple. Uh, <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm going to stop making that noise. But hey, you know what? We're all on our paths. And you know, self-awareness is is the first and most necessary step. Absolutely. Which they'll get to. They'll get to. So they're on the way. Out they go to rescue Entrapta. Hard cut back to the Crystal Castle. Unless you had more to say about that. Just one quickie thing. When we have Glimmer saying we're going to the Crypto Castle. No princess left behind. Little call back to no princess left behind. That's all. Yes. It's the callback. We're doing it. That's their like, that's their motto. Yep. For the yep. time being. So. 
And now we hard cut back to the Crystal Castle. Mm-hmm. Light Hope is still frozen. <laughs> Swift Rin is convinced that he broke her. Yes. Adora and Swifty are confused, is what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> they're not and they're not they're not technical people, those two. No. Not no. really. I mean, what are they supposed to do? It's not like they have a background in hologram maintenance. That's true. That's true. They're both like they're nothing in their lives. I mean, Swiftwind doesn't have a background in anything other than, you know, eating hay and apples. And yeah, yeah. And a little bit in toppling on just hierarchies yeah, now. Yeah, I feel like Swiftwind's, like, became sentient in red marks. And that's pretty much all Swiftwind has done so far. Yeah, it's so, fantastic. Yeah, I, I love it. The Light Hope's position on Etheria is unique, so no one has a background right, in, right, right. in her situation. So they're trying to help. They can't help. Until Adora pokes a finger through Light Hope's face and she unfreezes and she just keeps talking like nothing happened until she notices their freaked out body language. Because to her, no time passed. She just was talking and yeah. all of a sudden they look completely freaked out. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, what? It's, and then, you know, we learn that Light Hope's operating system is self-aware enough to essentially just say the error message, right? She's like, my right. system is overloading. I may right. have to delay today's training so that I can rest. Uh Uh-oh. So, like, we had a blue screen of Light Hope. Light Hope. Yeah, so basically this is just exposition, exposition about the Watchtower. Yep, it was destroyed by Mara when she lost control and attacked the planet. Uh, If you can repair that, my capabilities will improve. And then we're like, okay, Mara really went on a path of fucking destruction, huh? And while Light Hope is explaining this, though... I wrote that Adora in this moment is looking at the schematics and deep in her hold my beer, I've got this face. Yes. Which yes. is another gayest moment. Another gayest moment. Yeah. Because even though she clearly has no background in this and no reason to have any confidence, she in this moment seems very confident. She's like, fix the watchtower. Got it. Got Bye. Let's do it. <laughs> Rather than like. What should I know? What is the watchtower? Are there instructions? How do I fix it? Like, what? Uh, fix this thing you've never heard of before. Yeah. Sure, no problem. Why not? Let's hold my beer. Hold my beer. I got this. Cool. I've never I've never replaced a tire. I could probably do this. Move over, ladies. Let me take care of it. Yeah, so Lighthouse glitches out again. Good thing they didn't have any more questions. Mm-hmm. Okay, bye. And then they're just they back out Amy's delivery, and this is hilarious. Uh, okay, so we're just, we're, we're just gonna go. And I, uh, fucking yeah. hilarious. Yep. And then we jump back to drill. Occupied drill. Occupied drill. I, yeah, let's, let's refer to it. What is, it's occupied drill. I'm enjoying referring to it as occupied drill. Same. Because seeing the horde banners flying over it gives it a very distinct character. Agreed. So here we are in occupied drill. There are horde soldiers everywhere. And there's little Bo sneaking, sneaking. Sneaking, sneaking. Uh, you know, we get and a little then, bit, you know, as usual, this place is impossible to navigate. They can't, yes, you know. Yes, in case we forgot. In case we forgot, the Crypto Castle, built by Entrapta, is difficult to navigate. Even for her, Even. though she won't admit it. Right. While Bo and Glimmer are, you know, talking in their little hidden spot about what's their next move, mm-hmm. Katra comes waltzing out from a nap, we think. Mm-hmm. She looks like she's coming out from a nap. She's so chill. She had a big fun day and then she had to go rest for a while. Yeah. She's yawning and stretching yep. and like scratching herself. That's like the quintessential cartoon character who just woke up. 
basically. Yeah. Her she, guard is down. She literally scratches her ass. <laughs> She's like, I am. I have nothing to fear. I'm going to sit here and have, you know, no one is looking at me while I do this thing of yep. ass scratching, right? And yep. so we have yep. Catcher yep. scratching her ass and then her phone goes off. Her horrid iPad. Her horrid iPad goes off. And of course, this uh, very important misunderstanding has to happen. This is one of those one of those tropes mm-hmm. where there's people hiding who overhear something that makes them think that their friend is being tortured. A classic trope, especially the torture part. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, oh no, you know, uh, Entrapta's prototype bot is out of control and Entrapta and Kyle both are... Not having a great time with it, but certainly neither one of them is being held against their will or tortured by the Horde. No, no, definitely not. They're both there voluntarily. They just got their hands full with that bot. With that bot. And uh, that bot is having an existential crisis. And Jenny? Yes. This is my first Professor Smartbrain moment. Awesome. Hey, kids, guess what we're going to learn about today? Artificial existential crises? Existentialism! Awesome. Yeah, we love existentialism here at Heyadora. So, uh, quickie overview: existentialism. So, uh, Sartre has it as the actual life of the individual is what constitutes what could be quote their true essence, instead of arbitrarily attributing essences others use to define them. Human beings, through their own consciousness, create their own values and determine a meaning to their life. So, our choices determine our meaning. As humans, our our existence is the thing that determines our meanings. Hmm. But what determines our existence? What determines? Well, haha. Yeah, I know. Got to turn to Marx for that one. We're gonna turn to Marx for that one. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. But for right now, we're just gonna talk about uh, the philosophical understandings of what gets us to the phrase existential crisis. Uh, we got some names here. Uh, uh, Kierkegaard is considered to be the first existential philosopher in which he proposed that each individual, not society or religion, is solely responsible for giving meaning to life and living it, quote, passionately and sincerely or authentically. We also have uh, Heidegger, the 1927 Being in Time, which explicitly rejects Descartes' notion of a human being as a subjective spectator, but rather uh, the both subject and object, the person, are inseparable. But what we're really talking about when we talk about existentialism, we're talking about French philosophers in the mid-40s and 50s, and it's, it's associated with the works of uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, my, right. my French sucks, I'm sorry. Uh, Simone de Beauvoir uh, and Albert Camus uh, are kind of th- the three really super big yeah. ones. Some fun texts for existentialism are Sartre's No Exit, which is a play about three people trapped in uh, yep. in hell. It's where the phrase hell is other people comes from. Also, the main character, yep. the one who knows everything, is a lesbian. <laughs> Wait, in No Exit? Yeah. I read that. I don't remember. Yeah, she's a lesbian. Wow. Um, we have Camus' The Myth of Sisyphus. And this is one that was really fucking cool. Um, what about the stranger? Wasn't that a big text? The str- yeah, the stranger, the stranger, and the myth of, myth of Sisyphus are two big, big ones by Camus. The myth of Sisyphus is more of a philosophical essay about absurdism, which uh, is a spinoff of existentialism, which I'm not going to get into. And uh, the stranger is a novel. Is it a novel or a yeah. novella? 
It's a, yeah. Well, it's a novella. It's short. It's a novella about a French settler in Algeria who's kind of indifferent to all things who ends up killing an Arab man in occupied Algiers. One that I really particularly wanted to bring up here that is probably more uh, interesting to our community is Simone de Beauvoir's The Second Sex. Yes. Which is awesome. It is uh, known to be kind of one of the major philosophical texts of uh, 20th and I would argue 21st century feminism. Um, This is really cool. So uh, uh, Simone de Beauvoir turns the uh, works on the that the existential mantra of existence precedes essence into a feminist one with the idea one is not born but becomes a woman and this idea Hmm. well yeah that makes sense yeah so this idea um, first articulates what has come to be known as the sex gender distinction that is the distinction between biological sex and the social and historical construct of gender. Right. And it's the a idea that gender is a construct. Exactly. So she fucking rules. Yes. So, uh, no doubt. So these are all super great things that many of us, you know, highly recommend. Both Jenny and I have read all of these texts. <laughs> okay. So the existential crisis, which is also known as existential dread, is kind of a central moment for a thinker in in existentialism. And it is the moments when individuals question whether or not their lives have meaning, purpose, or value, and they are negatively impacted by that contemplation. Now, how does this tie into both a robot and our pal uh, Rong Hordak? So I feel like the central, I feel like the central point here is that you can't have an existential crisis Without self-awareness. Without self-awareness. Once- so we're implying that Entrapta's robots are so advanced that they're already getting to be self-aware. And once you have that self-awareness, it can generally send you into a spiral. Because yes. once you realize that you are not created for a purpose, like Wrong Hordak or a robot, but instead have to define your own purpose by your actions and existence that kind of goes against your programming and it fucks you up. Indeed. Or, you know, even if you were created for a purpose, you don't have to choose to follow it. Exactly. Because you are a self-aware being. You're not a slave. You can do what you choose to do. Maybe you think that shooting up a forest is wrong and you'd rather choose to do something else with your robot powers. Right, like like hug. Or make nutritious foodstuffs for your Ethereum friends. Yeah, oh, I love this. Yes. Who knows? Exactly. But until you get there, it might be very unmooring. We all know how unmooring and terrifying it is to not be sure what is your place in the world, what is the point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What am I here for? What should I do with my life? It's terrifying. Which is why I read a bunch of existential shit like as a young teenager and then again in my freshman year of college. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're supposed to have these feelings. It's natural and healthy and part of life. Absolutely. So so folks... If you never have them, you're just a hamster running on a wheel. And you know what? If you want to be a hamster riding, running on a wheel, that is your self-determined choice because existentialism does reject the idea of... Um, determinism and instead really embraces that whole free will free will thing of course so all your choices are your own free will all your choices are your own free will that was my professor smart brain moment on existentialism 
Go read some that of those books. Awesome. Thank you. Go read some of that those. That was juicy. Thank you. I know I know from existentialism. And nutritious. Yeah, and absurdism, which is really fun, too. And honestly, sometimes nihilistic, but doesn't have to be. Um, but yeah, go read some books. Anyway. No Exit is one of my favorite plays. Go have fun reading about a lesbian who figures out existentialism in a philosophical play form. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That was wicked gay. Thank you. Yeah. So anyway, that robot's freaking the fuck out because it has attained sentience, which y'all- No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> That's no big deal. Anyway. So that's going to keep Entrapped a Busy for a while. For a while. Yeah, but... But Glimmer overhears this. Uh-huh. And from her point of view, she... It sounds to her, and I understand why, it sounds to her like Entrapped is being tortured by the Horde. Yep. And Glimmer being Glimmer, she doesn't think, what's our plan? How are we going to do this? Maybe I should talk to my friend Bo. Mm-hmm. She just jumps headfirst into action. Yep, face fist-to-face sparkles. Yep, fist-to-face sparkles, exactly. So she and Catra fight, and good times ensue. This is a sick fight, by the way. This yeah, is a it is. great action sequence. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we have Glimmer. Glimmer goes all out when she fights, right? She doesn't hold back. She's not, I wouldn't say she's not an intelligent fighter, because she knows how to fight, but she definitely comes in hard. Catra is, I would say she's not a strategic fighter. She's not. She comes in hard. Catra is, right. like... So is based in strategy. Yes, Catra is extremely strategic. And agile, whereas like, mm-hmm. you know, Glimmer does have the advantage of being able to teleport, which does kind of add to some like perceived level of agility. Um, but in terms of like when she's like boots on the ground fighting, she's really more of a power fighter, which is yeah, why yeah. we kind of, when we see her like facing off with Scorpio, she's powerful enough to land some hits on this mountain of a, of a woman. Which is yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't mention that Scorpia, of course, comes running to Catra's defense. Yeah. You know, because it's Scorpia. That's what she does. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Bo and Glimmer escape by teleportation. And then we have a, a short teleportation montage, mm-hmm. which is similar to the one we had in episode 105, which is the last time we were in Drill yep. with Glimmer and Adora, demonstrating that the castle is a giant maze and Glimmer can't find her way out. By teleportation. Teleport here. Ah, teleport there. Ah, teleport here. I don't know how to get out of this place. Yep. So, you but know. So eventually she does teleport them all out, including Katra, who is only with them because she stubbornly hung on to them. So yep. she has no one but herself to blame. That's they true. They did not actually kidnap her. Yep. And as we've learned, blind teleporting is very, very bad, kids. Always know where you're going. Yes, yes. Because Nightcrawler has taught us that lesson enough. Nightcrawler has taught us that lesson enough. And we, but Glimmer needs to learn this lesson by teleporting out of the castle into midair. Mm-hmm. And with an angry cat as a prisoner. <laughs> and then hiss. Kind of passing out, but while doing yeah. it. So, yeah. Uh, and also, I, <laughs> so, whoopsie. Catra is like clinging to Glimmer. Glimmer wakes up, kicks Catra in the face. <laughs> because Glimmer does not give any fucks about like like whether or not Catra's gonna survive this fall. I mean, I don't think that she's worried that Catra's gonna die because she got kicked in the face. No, but she like kicks her like a like for all Glimmer right. knows. I mean, they all they all fall sure. to the ground. For, for 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 all we know, Glimmer can teleport again, right? So she just like know. straight up kicks Catra off of her. I think that it. But Glimmer didn't teleport again. She let them all fall. So I feel like she must have had some awareness 
the ground wasn't that far away. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Either way, Glimmer's like, get the fuck off of me in midair and kicks Catra in the (laughs) face. Yeah. And also we need to, you know, we want to kind of bring this up. Catra got magicked. She's uh, disoriented. We also all know that Catra and magic go together like a cat and water, which we also learn later. But uh, yeah, I feel like every time Catra gets magicked, a little tiny bit of the, you know, a little bit, tiny bit of the the trauma does kind of kind of show up as part of uh, the disorienting nature of it too. I wasn't thinking about that, but that's a good point. She was like, "What did you just do to me?" Which totally that, makes sense in terms of, "Oh wow, I've never been teleported really before." That's right. But also, right. like, magic makes my skin crawl. That's Why? right. That's a that's a total PTSD trigger for her. So that's right. Throwing that out there. That's right. Um, that works. These two kids, messy, messy kids. So we'll leave them to gather themselves for a moment while we switch back over to our other parallel plot line. Before we leave, I just want to say that an important thing to notice here is before we jump to our other parallel plot line, Bo shoots an arrow and nets up Catra. So Catra is now captive. Catra is their captive. So. They did not kidnap her, but now she is their captive. But now she is their captive. Correct. You are right. So now we go to the watchtower or near the watchtower. We go to a, a... a lovely field where long yes. grass and looks like wheat are growing or something. Yeah, shit. yeah. I thought it was wheat at first too, and then I was like, oh, it's golden grain. But then eventually, at the very end, in the very, very last scene, when Adora goes back into Glimmer's room to tell them about her big adventure of the day, one of the things she says is that she healed this field. Right. So I think that was actually dead grass. And then she brought okay. it back to life okay. when she healed the watchtower. Okay, cool. So it was like flowering, it was like flowering grass. Like yeah, yeah, and had all those little bits yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was bits of pollen or bits of magic, all those little floating thingies in the air. <laughs> little little kernels of whatever. Pollen is I, magic. It magically <laughs> makes you feel like shit. For some of us, unfortunately. Some of anyway, us, unfortunately. here they are. Yeah. Uh, and Swifty, Swifty brings us into the scene with some lovely narration. Adora and Swift went on an adventure, fixing a thing that Mara broke. When she went nuts. Oh. Yes. I and Adora is just not a fan of Swiftwind's singing narration, unlike the rest of us. It's really not working for her. I mean, like, I kind of understand the, like, I have serious things to do. Please stop singing about right. it. Right. Because right. people say right. that to me all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So Adora is stressed out about the situation. Maybe it's occurring to her now that she doesn't have any idea how to fix an ancient piece of broken first one's tech that she has no instructions for. Yeah, I mean, she just has to whack it on the side and I'm sure it'll fix. Right, yeah. and her buddy here is just, you know, singing and, and yeah. flying around like he doesn't have a care in the world. Exactly, and she's like, why aren't, she's pretty much like, why aren't you taking this seriously? And he's, yeah. you know, and she's, well, we'll realize later that like Swiftwind just has a different way of doing things. And exactly. You know what? Both are effective. Both are effective. And actually, um, a little bit later on, I'm going to get into um, a really cool character aspect of Swiftwind that we really get to see in this plot line that has to do with how he approaches life and how he approaches this issue with his carefree happy way of being i love this so we'll we'll get to it a little bit later yeah but first we have adora being like nothing's here and and swifty says no 
it definitely is here, and he can totally sense it. Yeah. Something ancient and magical. And I love that Swift Wind is a magical commie because I also relate to this. Yeah, and you know, like he doesn't necessarily know exactly how he knows things, but mm-hmm. he knows that he knows them. The epistemology of Swift Wind. Yes, he's not sure where exactly it is, but perhaps, he says, if we were to combine our efforts, my intuitive powers might increase. Ooh, I love this. But But Adora is not ready to mind meld with her sacred steed. What's your damage, Adora? I know, right? It's Listen, this is a pegacorn that talks and is a commie, magical communist. This, this. Your, your personal sacred steed. Also, you're a horse lesbian. Do you remember how much you lost your ever-loving mind when you first saw him? Also. The sky turned pink and bubbly. That's how much you lost your mind oh, when you just saw him. He's fucking has a rainbow mane. Get it together, Adora. Actually, I think his, his wings are rainbow. His mane is just pink. You're right. You're right. Okay, but yeah, still. Either way. But still, Jenny. Get it together, Adora. And, you know, uh, we are pro Swift Wind podcast obviously swifty is not insulted or hurt with adora's constant low-level rejection throughout this episode he can tell she's upset even though she won't talk about it mm-hmm. as you as your magnificent steed i am attuned to your emotions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. adora just wants him to stay out of her head <laughs> he says, I'm not in your head. You're just very bad at hiding your feelings. Yeah. So we also, we, you know, we establish here that, you know, Swiftend is pretty, pretty emotionally intelligent. He's a pretty emotionally intelligent, very. magical communist pegacorn. Very emotionally intelligent. So, and um, <laughs> Jenny, are you going to go through this next part? Because. Yeah. Unless I, you want no, to. No, no, I want you. Yeah, this is, this is, this is something I want to hear okay, you talk okay. about. <laughs> so Swiftwind, you know, wants to help Adora you know, work out what's bothering her. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, he, he knows something's bothering her. And there's this great visual sequence when Swiftwind starts listing possible people or things that she could be worried or upset about. Mm-hmm. And as he's listing them, we see each one of them as a horse head version of themselves. Incredible. So there's bow horse, mm-hmm. glimmer horse, uh-huh. catcher horse, horde horse, which is shadow weaver. And then the last thing that can't be represented as a horse head is the crushing weight of your new responsibilities as the savior of Etheria. Which I love that. I wish that they would be able to like represent that as a horse head. Yeah. Unfortunately, that can't be represented as a horse head. But each of those horse heads was just wonderful. But Adora denies that she's upset about any of these things. She's fine. She's fine. Everything's fine. She just needs to think. Yep. And Swifty just needs to do some loop-de-loops. Which, yeah, dude, do it. Which ends up being helpful because, oh, hey, look, there's first one writing on the underside of all those mysterious floating stone fragments. Interesting. Hmm. Gee, Swift Interesting how you found that thing with the help of loop-de-loops. Yeah. Hmm. Your playfulness finds its first clue, Swiftwind. Indeed. And then we go back to the forest. Back to the forest. So now we have Catra tied up in vines. Mev, I have a question for you. Yes. Does uh, Captive Catra seem upset stressed out worried about her fate to you not at all (laughs) you think yeah not at all i she's how would you characterize her in this scene in this moment in this moment uh i would characterize catra you know kind of chill really bratty really trying to more like emotionally elicit a response from the people that tied her up yeah i would say extremely chill like just in this opening shot she looks like she's on vacation yeah she's 
sitting cross-legged on a rock, chewing and spitting yeah. something that could be like, what, pumpkin seeds, chewing tobacco, who knows? Grooming herself. Um, also, like I have, so they found vines to tie her up with because the net wasn't enough. Yeah, I don't know. I don't get it, but whatever. They took a hostage. They're supposed to be good guys. This is Bo having yeah. a moral crisis here. And I'm a little confused about this, too, because they didn't have any moral quandaries over taking Adora hostage in the first episode when they thought she was a horde spy. Yeah, I... I, But, you know, it's like, as long as you treat your prisoners well, this is war. Right. Prisoners of war are a real thing. Right, right. But one of the big points of their plotline in this episode is to say that, you know, we're the good guys and we have to hold ourselves to moral standards, even if the bad guys won't. Right, exactly. So they're really, really going overboard to to display this point. Yeah, and they're definitely doing it in like a, you know, we have Bo and Glimmer doing it in um, like a dialogue. You know, this is like a philosophical dialogue, right? Yes. We have yes. Bo taking the extreme, we have to be the good guys, and Glimmer right. being like, fuck that there's no gray between yeah. these two yeah and the conversation exactly. between them it's like a philosophical dialogue so exactly yeah. exactly exactly and catra of course lets them continue to think entrapta is a horde prisoner because mm-hmm. that's leverage for her mm-hmm. and i mean even if it wasn't leverage for her i think it's just amusing for her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh catra is having a grand old time she goes into full bratty bottom mode oh whoops guess i can't walk oops flump and then i wrote whoops that was really gay well i have that too i have bratty (laughs) bottom catra as my gayest moment nice and oops i can't walk unless you want to untie me and this is when i go into my second professor smart brain moment. Nice. So content warning, we are going to be talking frankly, but not explicitly about sexuality. Okay. So we're going to talk about BDSM. Okay. BDSM is often erotic practices, but it doesn't have to be erotic. We can get there in a moment. Of role playing involving bondage, discipline, dominance and submission, and sadomasochism and other related interpersonal dynamics. So... What are bondage, discipline, domination and submission, and sadism and masochism? So here's an interesting thing. The term BDSM was first recorded in 1991 as like a composite term. So everything like around it was just like kinky or like bondage or whatever. That's quite late in the game. I know. That's what I thought too. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. Because it's been around since like- So long. Forever. Which I'm- Since forever. Since forever. I mean- Since the first person- Picked up a whip and said, you like that? Yeah, no, I mean, so this is awesome. I want to point out a couple of things, like, historically about this, because I found this fucking fascinating. So, yeah, it's been around since forever because people have been getting, you know, getting their uh, sensual, sexual, and erotic pleasures from many things since humans have existed, right? Um, And this is fun. So one of the oldest graphical proofs of sadomasochistic activity is found in the Etruscan Tomb of the Whipping which dates from the 5th century BC. Inside of the tomb, there is a fresco which portrays two men who flagellate a woman with a cane and a hand during an erotic situation. So there's Mm. like kinky paintings on a tomb 
from like like an Etruscan tomb, like a pre-Roman civilization. Etrus- uh, the Etruscans were a pre-Roman civilization uh, on the Italian peninsula. A kinky MMF uh, spanking threesome. I wish I knew for sure that that was consensual. Well, I mean, there are other instances, and you know, I can I can certainly send to you like the um, what I found here. No, 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 but no. There, I believe but you. there are other instances. I mean. Um, Petronius' Satyricon, which is an ancient writing, there is a delinquent that is whipped for sexual arousal. The Kama Sutra describes four different kinds of, of hitting during lovemaking, which is... Yes, I mean, Kama Sutra is one of the most definitive authorities, obviously. Yeah, Kama Sutra was written in ancient India as a definitive... Uh, it was essentially a text of different sexual activities and positions. It's like the practice of sex, essentially. It's like a sex manual. But, you know, very comprehensive. Incredibly comprehensive. So it has that. One of the most fucking important things, and I am just going to say this, is, just as Jenny alluded to, the idea of informed consent. Yes. With informed consent is when all parties involved know exactly what's going to fucking happen and say yes enthusiastically. Fuck yeah. We dig it. Yeah. We only, only, and only then, is this okay? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yes. So, uh, just given like a high level, but right now we're going to focus on um, the BD and possibly the DS part of BDSM, um, which is bondage. So we're going to talk about bondage for a second. We're going to kind of do a high level here. So bondage is the practice of consensual. Once again, we got the consensuality thing here. Tying, binding, or restraining a partner for erotic, aesthetic, or uh, somatosensory stimulation, which is essentially just stimulating, like, touch. Uh, yeah. Somatic means embodied in the body. Yeah. So, so somatosensory just means, you know, for physical sensory pleasure. Which is not necessarily sexual. Exactly. It could be any type of physical pleasure. Sensory pleasure is a type of physical pleasure. Exactly. And a lot of it also comes from, um, uh, a lot of the pleasure in bondage also comes from the psychological interplay. Right. Just a quick thing. A lot of famous forms of rope bondage. Uh, we've, folks, there's, uh, it's called kimbaku. Or in the West, it's known as shibari, mm-hmm. which is Japanese rope bondage known for its aesthetic. Once again, if you are uh, of the age and wish to look into these sorts of things, there are lots of really awesome, queer-focused, sex-positive, body-positive resources out there for you to look into. It's not all, you know, creepy stuff. Kink, which is an overarching term that includes BDSM as well as well of other aspects of power, fantasy, and fetish play, has been an intrinsic part of the queer community um, for as long as we've had communities. Uh, of course. And there are some really excellent resources out there, if this is something that you're interested, that will depict this for you in a really positive, queer way. Catcher's definitely interested. And Catcher's definitely interested. Like, because there's like a whole like like Fifty Shades of Grey and all that stuff kind of mainstreamed it, but that's very heterosexual and it's very um, deeply problematic in its execution of it. It does not come from yeah. somebody who has had experiences or is part of a supporting community. So very, very well put. Very So that's kind of the super high level on that. Um, why are we talking about this other than the fact that we're old perverts? 
So. <laughs> I thought it was because Catra was getting so much obvious pleasure from being tied up. Yes. And using that, even though they think they have the upper hand because they tied her up, uh-huh. she's making it into her upper hand. Absolutely. So throughout the episode, Catra is bound with various ties, including a full body tie. And what how she's bound most of the time, her wrist binding is called a double column tie with a lark's head knot. And she is... Ooh. I looked it up. Um, Fancy. Yeah. So uh, as Jenny said, she looks like she's having a great time, though she's arguing about it. And that is considered to be a bratty bottom or a sub. In this case, the person being tied up, which is the bottom, is acting out in order to evoke an emotional reaction from the top or the dom. And... Uh, something about power dynamics that is understood in a lot of different types of com- communications and conversations about BDSM is that even though the person that is tied up or restrained or the bottom or the submissive seems to not be the person in power, a lot of the times that person is the one that is holding the power. It's about the conversation of power dynamic, which is what's happening here. Okay. That is also a great callback to Foucault, just a way to process and understand the idea of power as a verb, power as an action, something to be enacted rather than held. Yes. F- F- you know? Yes. It's not an object. It's, 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 an, it's, you know, an action. It's something that you play out. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Foucault was also, also studied and was a member of um, a gay male BDSM communities. Naturally. Naturally. So, yeah, yeah. also... Hell yeah, if you are playing the Hedora drinking game right now with soda or, you know, adult (laughs) beverages, you take a drink because Jenny brought up Foucault again. I think you should be able to take a drink anytime either one of us brings up uh, a cultural theorist by name. I know. In which case, you've had a lot of drinks at this point. You've had a lot of drinks at this point. A a double shot if they're French, which in this episode... Yeah, wow, you've had a lot of soda. By now, friends, haven't you? Also, I just want to point out that the name of this episode is Ties That Bind. That's, oh my gosh, true. So that was my Professor Smart Brain Thank you for that one. On yeah, yeah, way to tie it all together. <laughs> anyway, nice. um, so Catra's being a bratty bottom. And we're going to leave them with that situation. We're going to leave them with that situation. I don't know if Bo and Glimmer can handle it. Uh, well, we do have one kind of actual plot point here, which is Bo and Glimmer try to do an aside. Bo mentions that Glimmer is running out of power. Right, right. Glimmer is frustrated because Catra has just declared that she's not going to be walking mm-hmm. back to Bright Moon. Yep. So Glimmer's like, fine, I'll just teleport us all back. And then, of course, they have their little side conversation where Bo reminds her of something that we all know. Mm-hmm. Glimmer can't just teleport them all the way back to Bright Moon because mm-hmm. they're far. Yep. So they're going to have to deal with it yep. in some other way. And you can't really have, you know, quiet asides when you have super cat, like when your captive have super cat light hearing. So we right. have this great fourth wall breaking moment where Catra kind of looks at the screen and does like a an oh, eyebrow yes. waggle, which is like. And that smirk. And the gay smirk, which is also a gayest moment. Very, that is an yes, incredible that is a gay very smirk. Very satisfying gay really smirk. Really fucking satisfying gay smirk. Um, she's having the time of her life. She's having a great time. It's like she's on vacation. She is. Well, I mean, she's <laughs> she's being tied up. She gets to be a brat. She's having a great yep. fucking time yep. here. Yep. She gets to drive these people crazy, which is one of her favorite things to do. Yep. Yep. And yeah, this is she's having a great fucking time here because she knows that she has the upper hand in this situation. Exactly. As you have explained, sometimes the bratty bottom can have the upper hand. It's true. 
It's true. So now I think we can uh, we can go all along the watchtower. We can go. <laughs> Thanks, Hendrix. You got it. All along the watchtower. So now finally, Adora is riding Swiftwind, having a little bit more fun. Having a little bit more fun. Yeah. Together, they see a first one's glyph on the bottom of one of the big floating stones. And Swiftwind says, wow, Mara really did a number on this place. And Adora, in full hold my beer, cocky gay mode, says, so let's put it back together for the honor of Grayskull. But we know that uh, she's not going to be successful yet because it's not a full, we don't see the full transformation. It's a short one. Yeah, yeah, I had that too. So we know that nothing's going to happen yet. And also because the the episode is less than halfway over. So we know that this is... This is not going to be a whole thing, but you know, she's got to try. She's, she just touches the sword to the stone and waits for something to happen. Yep. And I have, this as one of, this is also one of my gayest moments where Isadora tries to fix something with her big gay sword. Fuck yeah. And then we get just more of Swiftwind being happy yep. to be on this journey. She-Ra and Swiftwind forging a sacred bond, fixing a magic tower with magical sword. God bless him. I love him. You know? I love him. He's just, he's, they're doing a thing. They're doing you know? a thing. And he's stoked about and it. And they're going to keep doing it until it's done. Yep. And he's on board. And that's it. And now we're back on the trail with Glimbo and Catra. Walking along a mountain path like you do. Glimbo and Catra. Oh, I love it. I love it. So uh, we kind of have a mirror here of um, the first episode when Bo is, uh, Bo is trying to befriend and be kind to Catra. Yeah. The same way that he was trying to befriend and be kind to Adora. Catra's not having mm-hmm. any of this shit. But Bo is always Bo. Bo is always Bo. You know, he's always living up to his best self. She falls down. He says, hey, are you okay? Catra's offhand flippantly like you care. Yeah. Oh. And Bo says, we do, actually. The rebellion treats its prisoners with compassion. And also, this is like Catra being like, why is there kindness? Ha- why is a stranger treating me kindly? Yeah. Why am yeah. I getting kindness? And it's yes. like, oh, sweet baby Catra. Yes, yes, yes. Also that. So, and th- so since she lashes out at them, right? Well, and before she lashes out, she also manipulates the conversation to her advantage mm-hmm. to find out, as if she didn't already know right, right. that Glimmer would do anything for Bo. Yeah. So she just pushes him off the mountain. Yep. Yep. And more hijinks ensue. Well, before she does that, I just want to point out that she's like, everything is about the power of friendship. And then Bo mentions Adora. And then we see Catra, we see like a flash uh, across Catra's face. And then we see her scoff. She's like, okay. And then Bo keeps trying to like be like, what was she like as a kid? You know, like really trying to- Right, he's trying to use, well, use is the wrong word. He's trying to- to use their mutual affection yeah. for Adora as an entry point to connect to Catra. Exactly. But you you, you can't do that, man. That's but like it not, does not work. the way to do it with Catra. Well, you know, he's trying. He's trying. He's like, but friendship. Yeah. And Catra's what about like, even you must have friends. Yeah. Catra's like, wow. But, you know, stop talking about my ex. Yeah, exactly. He's like, what about your ex who broke your heart? And and she was like, yeah, what about my ex that broke my heart? Guess what she's going to do to you? Yeah, you think she's not going to leave you behind too? Yeah, she's going to break your heart too. And then we and then we do the catra the catra thing. And they're falling for quite a while, long enough to have a conversation yep. as they're falling off the mountain. And Glimmer is like 
power play glimmer right now, pissed, crossing her arms, sitting there. Yeah. Clo- I love this. She's crossing her arms and her legs, like she's sitting, like scowling. Right. Her cape instead of falling through space. Her cape is a floating, like behind her. It's hilarious, <laughs> and she's like having an argument. With Catra. Yeah. Who also is like, neither one of them is freaking out. They're both like, fuck you. Well, fuck you. The only one who's concerned about the fact that they're falling off a mountain is Bo. Yeah. And I love that. Clemmer's like, how are you such a nightmare? Eh, years of practice. I love that line. <laughs> yep. And also, these two are flirting so fucking much and I ship the hell out of them. Oh my God. It's, it's not terrible. No, it's really not. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun. Certain kind of spark happens when people clash in a certain way. Sure. Yeah, sure. They just drive each other so crazy. They drive each other so crazy. Oh, they, they, why do you do that? They just get under each other's skin. Love it. Love it. Also kind of feels like the fight of like the ex and the current girlfriend. Yeah. Which is like, you know, kind of. I didn't think about that, but that's also fair. And we haven't even gotten to the part where Catra licks Glimmer's arm. Oh my God. We haven't even got to so many like. (laughs) Yeah. So first, you know, they're falling off the mountain and, you know, Glimmer is threatening not to do anything about it. Just let Catra fall. And Bo says, please don't. She's attached to me. Right. Which, you know, fair point. I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Finally, Glimmer does like a tiny teleport, Mm -hmm. which seems like it didn't even really do anything because they were going to fall into water and they still fall into water. Yep. But maybe the teleport just breaks the fall a little bit. Yep, yep. So they do a tiny teleport. They fall into water. Glimmer is like, Glimmer's like, you don't like water. You know, not a fan of water, huh? They're, st- they're both still in like total like contentious like fight mode. Exactly. And then Catra's like, oh, I guess I'll just take you with me. I'm going to wrap my tied hands around your neck. And, you know, they're just continuing their little cat fight, yeah. if you will. They would rather fight than, than like... Then save then their own save their own asses. And Bo was like, yes. what the fuck? Yeah, Bo's like, hey, we're about to go over a giant waterfall. So maybe stop fighting for two seconds. And of course, we have the impending waterfall of drama. A classic trope. Yes. So they finally end up on the shore, having barely just teleported out of a very precarious situation. And Catra, of course... Uh, uses this opportunity to, you know, really kind of dig into them and be like, yeah, we're all in one plate piece. Can't say the same for Entrapta. And like really just like being like, yeah, yeah we fucked up Entrapta. Yeah. Also, wow, you're really bad at this. Yeah. Oh, you sleepy after all that magic and that yeah. like. Everything she can do to rub salt in the Yeah. Wound. And also the like sleepy after all that magic is like fucking brat <laughs> bottom, like gayest moment shit for me. She so. is having a great time. A grand old time. And then she licks Glimmer's arm to distract them from noticing her tapping her little Chekhov's com badge. Oh, shit. That did come into play. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's when she sets it off to alert Scorpia and the other hordlings of her whereabouts. Scorpia's freaking the fuck out, right? And my last line for that scene is, Catra, you crafty little gay cat. Aw, she is. She is. So we have Scorpius freaking the fuck out, right? Like Back in Occupied Drill, yes. And it's also adorable watching Scorpia, you know, losing her mind because Catra is potentially in danger. And this is more like this. Well, what do you mean she's missed? What do you mean you haven't heard from her? Oh, what are we going to do? What do you mean? Uh, uh, oh, you know. if somebody touches a hair in her head. Bah, ah, yeah. ah, and- While Lonnie and Rahelio just watch yep. and have zero lines. Yep. Do we call Hordak? Send out a search party? Put up posters? How are we going to find Catch 
uh, brilliance once again more brilliance from lauren ash yes. is a fucking yes. trip she's amazing we adore her and then while she's unraveling her little horrid ipad beeps well, that's convenient convenient since scorpia has just not scorpia the the catra Catra has just engaged her Chekhov's combat, mm-hmm. and now uh, her her little homing beacon has been activated. Yep. And Scorpius' response to this, and you can tell she's fully in panic mode and hasn't had a chance to think anything through. Scorpius' response is to just pick up Lonnie under one arm and Rahelio mm-hmm. under the other arm, both of whom have not said anything, and just run towards the comm signal with both of them under her arms like it's the end of days. Yes, yep. <laughs> Yelling, you beautiful genius. Yeah. We love you, Scorpio. We love you, Scorpio. Yeah. Meanwhile, by the Smashy Smash Watchtower. Smashy Smash Watchtower. We have Swiftwind trying to be encouraging. Say, first of all, no one ever can concentrate when someone says focus, concentrate. Yeah, yeah. I. That's the last thing you need right? is when you're trying to concentrate is for someone to tell you to concentrate. Yeah, that doesn't work. Um, but, you know, he's just trying to contribute. He's just trying to give it a shot, yeah. And, you know, even he's still not perturbed when she's sniping at him. Mm-hmm. He's he's like, all right, you know, I'm just saying everything's better with loop-de-loops. Yep. And so this is where I would like to take a minute to talk about the Tao of Swiftwind. Yes! Love it! I watched this episode a couple times, and there was something so familiar about Swiftwind's Overall, I don't want to say personality, his character, something about just who he is, the unruffledness, Mm -hmm. the unruffled playfulness and sort of like simple wisdom that he embodies that was teasing the corner of my mind. And it took me a couple of of watches for me to remember what I was thinking of. And what I was thinking of was the Taoist concept of the uncarved block. Oh. I love this. Let me just preface this by saying that I am no expert on Eastern philosophy by any means. And if anyone has greater expertise than I, please feel free to let me know if I am wrong about anything. If I misspeak, you know, I apologize in advance. Um, But I did study um, Eastern philosophy somewhat in high school and college. Um, And I actually first read Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu when I was 14 because my camp best friend gave me a copy. I first read it when I was 12. I'm with you on this. We're in very advanced gaze. We're very advanced gaze. We both have read a lot about Taoism and existentialism. So I'm really excited about this. Um, Taoism particularly and, you know, Eastern philosophy in general, it can be hard to understand from a Western perspective. You know, sometimes things that seem simple you know, the Western mind wants to overanalyze it and make it more complicated. And especially, you know, as a young person. So my dad, who knew that I loved Winnie the Pooh, went out and got me another book to help me understand Tao Te Ching that was called The Tao of Pooh by Benjamin Hoffman. And it's very accessible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I would recommend it to anyone who's struggling to understand Taoist concepts. Mm -hmm. Um, And also read Winnie the Pooh first, because it's also awesome. And I think it really is a great touch point to these concepts. So the Tao of Swiftwind, and let's talk about the uncarved block. This is the concept that I think he really embodies. And so the Chinese word for the uncarved block is poo, Okay. but it's not a long poo like Winnie the Pooh. Uh-huh. Um, it's a shorter poo. Okay. But you know, I don't really speak Chinese. I'm just going off the explanation. It was written in the book, The Tao of Pooh. So for their character, the written character, Pooh, 
The typical Chinese dictionary will give a definition of natural, simple, plain, honest. Mm-hmm. Pu is composed of two separate characters combined. The first, the radical or root meaning one, is that for tree or wood. The second phonetic or sound giving one is the character for dense growth or thicket. Hmm. So from tree in a thicket or wood not cut Mm -hmm. comes the meaning of things in their natural state. What is generally represented in English versions of Taoist writings as the uncarved block. Interesting. Okay. So from, and so I'm going to read a quote um, from the book, The Tao of Pooh. From the state of the uncarved block comes the ability to enjoy the simple and the quiet, the natural and the plain. Along with that comes the ability to do things spontaneously and have them work, odd as that may appear to others at times. Um, So I think that, you know, if you think about Swift Wind while you think about this concept that I was just explaining, um, I think that he really does embody the concept of the uncarved block very well. You know, he's not overanalyzing anything but he's also not agonizing. He's just being what he is. And I wouldn't say he's overconfident because in the same way that Adora, you know, when she gets overconfident, he just knows that by being himself and doing what comes naturally to him, things will turn out the way they're meant to. And that kind of innate wisdom that is very simple and not overly intellectualized and there's a joyfulness and a playfulness that you can very much see in Winnie the Pooh. Yes. It's very much embodied, very much embodied by Swiftwind. Yes. And his joy for the loop-de-loops ends up being key eventually. And versus right now, it just seems like it's getting in the way of practicality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It does eventually end up being key to just trust in Swiftwind, even though you don't necessarily see where his thoughts are going mm-hmm. yeah it just is what it is yeah exactly and it, it is what it is and it works yes exactly so yeah and that's that's a really good uh move into the concept of wu-wei which is mm-hmm. um it's a concept that means uh effortless action so that's mm. exactly what it is perfect uh there are a bunch of things in the Tao Te Ching about kind of the the leading from behind you know like laying back and leaning from behind and the idea that you know if you if you lean into the like you said the naturalness of it the way will come through yeah so yeah I love it yeah and uh, I think it's it's very uh, characteristic of Swiftwind yeah yeah I love this I love it love it and you know it really speaks to how he contributes without uh, having to have specific plans and without having to have specific expertise. You know, his his knowledge and expertise is so embodied. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. He senses things and knows that they are true. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Because he ex- he purely exists within it. And yes. that's what it is. Yes. He is purely existing within the will of the moment and having that come through as not imposing his will on the moment. Yeah. 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 I think that there is little to no ego. Yeah. In this concept. Agreed. Yeah. Very much. Cool. I love anyway, that. Thank you. The Dow. So that's the Dow Swift. The Dow Swift. And if you're if you're interested in in learning more about this, um, Dao De Jing by Lao Tzu is the seminal text on Taoism. Mm-hmm. And even though it's pronounced Dao like D, it's spelled Tao mm-hmm. T A O. Yep. Um, and I very much recommend the Dao of Pooh as uh, a side reader that would be very helpful for making these concepts more accessible to Western lay people. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's super fucking accessible. Anyway, so now we can mosey on back to Glimbo and bratty prisoner Catra. Bratty prisoner Catra being a power bottom. Yeah. And so the image that is the opening image of this scene perfectly describes the scene. So we've got Glimmer in front pulling on a heavy rope, which we assume is dragging Catra, who had just refused to walk. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And Glimmer is just grinding her teeth and looking so mightily annoyed as she's pulling on this rope. And then we've got Bo in the background. Mm-hmm. He's got both hands on his head. And he's also gritting his teeth, but more in a way that's like, eek, oh no, oh no. Like looking just totes overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. ah, like, ah. And they just both look like they are about to lose their entire shit. Yep. Yep, and Catra's just like, and then Catra's most important line is, I don't know about you guys, but I am beat. Getting held hostage is so much work. Almost as exhausting as torturing and trapped every day. Yep. Damn, Catra. Yeah. Talk about cramming complex issues down into a very small box. Damn. And then that's that's all there is up until they run into Scorpio Lyle. Yeah. Lyle. Wow. Scorpio. Lonnie and Rahelio. And Rahelio. And oh, wait. No, Kyle. Kyle's back with Entrapta being useless with her for a change instead of being useless with these guys. Catra is taunting Glimmer, saying that you're out of glitter. Glimmer's like, can you keep her mouth shut? Implying that they did indeed try to gag Catra. Right. Bo says, I tried, but she bites and is covered in bites and scratches. Which also calls into question, do you know how to gag someone? Yeah. You shouldn't be putting your arms n- near their mouth. Yeah, no, I I don't think I don't think but Bo has. I don't think they've ever had any practice doing that no. because they're too nice. They're too nice to be going around gagging prisoners. Exactly, exactly. Um, and this is when uh, we have like a really important Glimmer Catra moment oh. where Glimmer is done. And she goes for a psych, she knows that Catra is a psychological fighter. So she goes with her own psychological low blow where she says, how did Adora take years of this? Right. She didn't run away from the horde. She ran away from you. And that fucks up Catra because that's in Catra's, like, that's kind of one of the things that's like playing in the back of Catra's mind. Right. That's what Catra believes. Right. Yeah. She's like, well, she left me. She left me for you. Like, exactly. This is the idea. Even though Adora said literally the opposite of that so many times. It doesn't matter. This is what it doesn't matter. This is what Catra yeah. has internalized and Glimmer knows that. Yep. Yep. And so Glimmer goes in for the kill. That's right. And this fucks up Catra. This is the first this is like the first time within this from like, you know, Bo rattled Catra. This really Did he? A little bit when he said, when he was just asking about Adora, he kind of rattled her a little bit, right? Yeah, I feel like he pissed her off. I don't know if he rattled her. But this, this shake, I mean. Yes. This like No, this is the first thing that actually shakes Catra. Yeah, this hits. And she's, this is also kind of the like ex ex and the current girlfriend fighting thing. It's like, oh yeah, where's she now? Off being She-Ra? Get used to it. You think she's not going to leave you two behind? Sparkles. And then, you know, after we have this like, really intense like emotional like back and forth between the two of them then we have scorpia show up but i'm not really sure how much gravity it is in reverse 
for Catra to say back to them, oh, you think she won't leave you too? Like, I'm not sure no. if they believe that or if that would have any impact on them. No, they definitely don't. But this is this is Catra lashing out. This shows Catra's heart. Yeah, 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 yeah. Flemmer doesn't give a shit about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the only time we see Catra really have any impact. Yeah. On her yep. in this episode. Yep. And now we go we go back to Swift Wind back to and She-Ra. Swift Wind and She-Ra doing a thing. She was trying to impose her will upon the rocks. Yes. She's not getting yes. that you just have to let it be. Yeah. Maybe I'll just tie all these pieces together and they'll be fixed. Because that's, you know. Right? That's how fixing things works. That's how fixing things works. Swifty feels like maybe they just need to get into a better headspace. Why don't we just list all our favorite things until we feel better? I'll go first. Sure. Apples. Hey. Toppling unjust hierarchies. Mm-hmm. Apples. Wait, I said that already. I like those things too. Don't we all? Yeah. 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 So Swiftwind's help isn't helping, but that's probably just because your plan isn't working, mm-hmm. Adora. Yep. Yeah. It's not working. Just let's... No amount of help is going to help a failing plan. Just fucking let Swiftwind help you. So nothing is helping right now because Adora is ultimately still just trying to do it all by herself. Mm-hmm. She's not She's not open to the idea that anyone could help her. Right. Because if Swiftwind can't, then who can? He's her sacred, magical, bonded steed. Sacred, magical, bonded steed. That's fucking right. That's fucking right. I feel like it needed to be re- repeated for no, some no, reason. I, I appreciate the <laughs> emphasis. I don't know why. No, that was appropriate. I think that was appropriate. Sometimes things need to be repeated louder and slower to have their full emphasis it's like taken re- in. Really epically. Yes. So. So they're still going to be struggling a little while longer. So let's go back to the standoff. Man, there's a there's a lot of cutting back and forth between these yes, two parallel stories. Lots of lots of cutting back and forth. So Scorpia is <laughs> Scorpia is being protective. Scorpia, are you okay? Did they hurt you? I will crush them. Yeah, <laughs> she is ready. She's to, ready to destroy. She's ready to like start an apocalypse. Yep. On behalf of one misplaced hair on Catra's head. The Rebellion has their idea of, we will trade you Catra for Entrapta, because Glimmer does not Mm -hmm. know what the situation is with Entrapta. Right, right. And Catra has a counteroffer, release her now or they'll kill Entrapta. And it's like, huh? Yeah, so it's a really good thing that Entrapta's prototype bot is still on the rampage, or else this ruse would not fly at all. How long do you think this entire thing took? Like a half day? It's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible to tell how much time is yeah. passing while they're like walking through the woods. Yeah. Because it always seems like they're traveling far distances, too far to teleport. Yeah. But how far could it really be? I have no idea yeah. is the short yeah. answer. Okay. But like that. I don't know. Anyway, Kyle's been getting his ass kicked by this robot for like yep. hours, it seems. Probably. Probably. Yeah. So <laughs> how, you know. There's no limit to how long Kyle can get beat up by people or robots. True. Just as long as it takes. As long as it takes to to really drive the point home that Kyle is just not competent. Yeah. But also, like, Entrapta is also not doing well right now. No. You know, she's also, you know, screaming at the robot, begging it to do what she wants it to do. Yep. But, you know, it might sound over uh, an audio... Link, mm-hmm. like she could be talking to a person, like a horde captor. Right. When, you know. One would probably think that. One could probably think that. But one would be wrong. 
So now this is the new bargain that's on the table as far as Bo and Glimmer are concerned. Mm -hmm. Release Catra now or they're going to kill Entrapped. Yep. And Glimmer is pissed that they still have to play by the rules. Yeah, and does not believe. She's like, she's bluffing. She thinks Catra's bluff is that they won't really kill her, which actually is true. It's true. true. Not in the way that she thinks, but she is right. Yeah, exactly. But Bo says we can't take that chance. Yep. This is not how we operate. This is not what we do. We have a code. Yep. A strong moral code. No princess left behind. That's what separates the good guys from the bad guys. We don't kill people. We live by a moral compass. Right. That's what separates us from them. Right, exactly. Um, and I love that Kyle's reaction is, I knew you'd call me back. And what Catcher's like, if you don't hear back from me in 30 seconds, take and trap to out. And Kyle's like, wait, what? <laughs> no, poor Kyle. Huh? What the actual shit is happening right now? Yeah. Poor Kyle. So reluctantly, they let Catra go. Yep. And then Scorpia, upon receiving Catra into her arms, briefly loses the ability to form words. Yeah, which, you know, it happens whenever Catra falls in anyone's arms. Especially Scorpia. Especially Scorpia. And Glimmer's pissed. Of course. Then we get the big reveal. They were never holding Entrapped a prisoner. She's there of her own free will. Mm-hmm. What? What? And of course, Katra has to rehash the fact that, you know, the her opinion that is the, uh, the thing that will always be plaguing Glimmer in the back of her mind is that the reason they'll never win is because they have a moral code that they hold themselves to. And uh, the horde does not. Yep, it's that like that quote from Spaceballs. Spaceballs is a um, Mel Brooks parody of of Star Wars and Star Trek yes. and all the sci-fi movies. And the uh, lead antagonist, who's played by Rick Moranis, um, Dark Helmet, when they're fighting, says one of my favorite lines in a film, which is evil. I have no idea what line you're thinking of. Evil will always triumph because good is dumb. Oh, yes. (laughs) And it's just like, that's kind of like what what Catra's saying here. Yeah, yeah. It's very succinct. So, you know, a villain would be like, I have no, you know, I have a different particular moral code. I'll do anything. I'll do whatever it takes to win. And you won't. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And, you know, one could argue that that may not be entirely a villainous outlook on things. But for, you know... That's a that's an ethical question for another time. In yes. terms of the ethics, that's a philosophical question. Absolutely for the ages. Yeah, absolutely. But in terms of the you know ethics of Etheria, uh, it holds. <laughs> so yes, that's where the good guys and the bad guys, good and bad, good guys and bad yes. guys, right, are different. So ultimately, they let Catra go. Mm-hmm. This reveal happens, so they finally let Bo and Glimmer talk to Entrapta. Yep. So Bo ends up being the one to talk to her. Entrapta, are you on the Horde side now? And Entrapta says, I'm on the side of science. Yes, which... But I am living in the Fright Zone, and the Horde is supplying me with tools and materials for my work, so yes, I guess. So, you know, you can tell from that answer that she has never considered the question of whose side is she on. Yes. She's just doing science. She's just doing science. Exactly. Anywhere anywhere that she will be able to do it. Mm -hmm. She's just doing it. And this is another kind of, I don't know, ethical question, which I kind of want to get into another time. Um, but it is kind of an ethical question of, is Entrapta morally neutral because she's just on the side of science? Or, you know, in a less neutral uh, space because her understanding of just science is actually in, is actually driving her, you know, 
putting her in positions where she's doing things like developing weapons for an imperialist conquering army. Yeah, I think it's really hard to parse out, especially Mm -hmm. because of the fact that she is neurodivergent and this is something that can be understood a lot more easily from that point of view is that people who have a special skill just want to do their special skill. And the idea of abstract meaning is not necessarily something they associate with it. Like, what does it mean in a larger context that's more abstract than the concrete thing itself? But I also I, I also do want to kind of point out really, really importantly that this does not mean that neurodivergent people do not have a an ethical code. No, 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 of course not. That's why I'm saying yeah. this is one point of view to see it from that is not about ethics. Right. And also at all. I'm not saying, I am not saying that neurodivergent people don't have a ethical code or a moral compass. That's not what I was saying. Absolutely not. And I knew that you weren't. I was just making sure that this was something that was very explicitly said because I knew you weren't saying okay. that. Yes. I was trying to put it in a separate framework yeah. because I was saying the framework of ethics is limited. And there is another framework in which you can understand. Absolutely. Absolutely. This whole this whole thing. Um, in fact, I was uh, going to continue to talk about this question. Sure. Because this is something that comes up a lot. And there are some people who are very hard on Entrapta. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there's other people, there's other people who go the other way and say that, in, you know, Entrapta deserves a lot more credit and shouldn't be judged at all because of the fact that, you know, she she's not for or against anyone. Mm-hmm. But she is she is dem- um she is developing weapons. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that is that is the reality. Yep. Someone someone's gonna use these weapons. But so I think it's very clear that she still considers herself friends yes. with Bo and Glimmer and Adora, especially because of the fact that she then goes on to say, but don't worry about me. I love it here. I've made unbelievable progress yes. in my research and the Horde has been so supportive. I'm getting closer every day to unraveling the mysteries of Etheria. And ha- the last line, hacking the Black Garnet was just the first step. Mm-hmm. That's just a throwaway line for her. Yeah, She's, you know, it's just a step in her research. Yeah, exactly. She has no idea the impact that it had on that. Right, exactly. Yeah, and in interpersonal relationships, she is, ca- ca- uh, I completely agree. Uh, and I actually have that written down as well. She is charming, caring, kind, and empathetic. Like, your imperfections are beautiful. Like, is a lovely, right. uh, wonderful, uh, like, interpersonal observation that she says to someone that is, you know, for all intents and purposes in the show, a villain. So, right. like... She- she, she doesn't want them to be worried. She she just found out that they were worried that she was in trouble and she wants to reassure them that she's okay. She's okay. She's just doing her science, but... Yeah, she's just doing it somewhere else now. Yeah, exactly. It, it just so happens that there was an interview with Temple Grandin in the New York Times just a few days ago. Oh, awesome. Um, if you want to look it up, the date is January 22nd. Mm-hmm. And the title of the article is Temple Grandin Wants Us to Think Differently About Kids Who Think Differently. Excellent. New York Times. Um, For anyone who doesn't know who Temple Grandin is, she is a pretty famous scientist um, and neurodivergent advocate proponent. Um, She is someone who is autistic and came of age at a time when autistic people didn't get the chance to go to school Mm -hmm. and were Mm -hmm. written off Mm -hmm. as brain damaged and were not even bothered being educated at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a great biopic film about her starring Claire Danes, if you want to watch it. Oh, awesome. She is a college professor and she works in um, in the meat industries to help uh, farmers create more cruelty-free animal husbandry setups. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so in this article, she was asked a number of times about her 
views on vaccination. And even before COVID, Mm -hmm. one of the main arguments of the anti-vax splinter movement, which at the time used to be a splinter movement, was that people believe it uh, vaccines cause autism. Right. Even though it's been debunked many times with hard scientific data. Right. And so the interviewer asked her a number of times to speak to this. Mm -hmm. And she repeatedly, strenuously refused to comment on this issue. Mm -hmm. Even though she said, like, yes, I'm vaccinated, and if more vaccines come out, I will take them. Sure. But she refused to comment on the issue, and the interviewer kept coming back to it, and she kept refusing to comment. And then she also stated repeatedly that she has a no-politics policy because it interferes with stuff she cares about. Mm. That's a direct quote Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from Temple Grandin. She just wants to do the work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The idea of politics, of what it means to different groups of people, is an abstraction. And she can't think in those abstract terms. Mm. She knows what's important Mm -hmm. to her and she's going to do that work. Mm. And what it means to other people, she's not going to get into it. Mm -hmm. Though she would not personally do anything, just like Entrapta, do anything that would harm. And indeed, we see this with Entrapta when something is framed to her, when Adora is like the the portal, which we're going to talk about, you know, in a while. Like, Entrapta, this could hurt everybody. She's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's why I think uh, we should not judge Entrapta too harshly. I don't think that she is ever on the horde side no she's in that in that crude sense yeah and exactly exactly and and this is why i fucking love i love entrapta fuck yeah i fucking love entrapta she's the shit she's awesome yeah i love it thank you and temple grandin is awesome too temple grandin is awesome totally awesome i mean she revolutionized what we know about autistic people yeah yeah. She created weighted vests. Yeah, I think I knew that. Yeah, because it started out as a technique for cows. She had seen it on her aunt's farm before they put the cows into the chute where they're going to go eventually to the slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. They put them in this giant press and they squeeze them a little and it helps them be calm. It's a parasympathetic nervous system response. Mm. And so when she was having a sensory-based panic attack, mm-hmm. she got in the machine and said, you know, close it on me, close it on me. Mm-hmm. And it gave her a similar feeling. And she thought, I could invent a version of this for people. And she did. That's awesome. So she is the inventor of, you know, the basis of all weighted products Yay. for, you know, people with sensory issues. And, you know, I have three weighted blankets and I love them so, so much. I love weighted blankets too. So God bless Temple God Grandin. God bless Temple Grandin. Yeah. Cool. Anyway... Should we get back to uh, Adora and Swifty? I think we should. So Adora is now done. Done. She's finally ready to admit that she has no idea what this watchtower is even supposed to do, mm-hmm. let alone how she's supposed to fix it. Mm-hmm. They're in confessional mode now. She's lying on her back in this giant field. Mm-hmm. Swifty's lying down next to her. And so finally he asks her if that's the case, why has she been doing all these things? Right. And so they finally get to have a heart-to-heart, and Adora finally opens up to her sacred bondage Yay! Deed. And she lets him share her burdens. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, I need to learn how to control my powers so I don't hurt people. Like Mara did. Yeah, so... She's really scared of repeating Mara's mistakes. Yeah. And Swifty apologizes for not taking the mission more seriously, and he says he's just excited to be her steed, which is so gay. It's so gay. 
Which, you know, f- we're all on board. Yeah, no, we love Swifty. Um, and Adora's sorry that she got him into all this in the first place by magic mojoing him with her sword. I know. And, and he- but Swifty is not sorry about that. No. And neither are we. No, neither are we. You know, and he he wouldn't he wouldn't trade his voice and wings for anything. Which That's I right. also kind of see as Swiftland loves his class awakening. He wouldn't trade his ability to reason and think and his freedom freedom for anything he's that's he has right. his chance to change the world and he's so happy to be doing it with adora and that's awesome and he and it's really important moment for adora also because he frames it for her mm-hmm. in the same way yep. and then he says i would never go back would you yeah and she says no so this is the first time i feel it's really important that adora has had the chance to actually have the choice to embrace her new identity rather than just have it be something that was thrust upon her. Yeah. And to see it as a gift. Mm-hmm. You know, she feels responsible for thrusting this upon Swiftwind and he's like, no girl, this is the best thing that ever happened to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my eyes have been opened now and I can leave the world a better place than I found it and I can topple unjust hierarchies and I would never go back. I love it. You know, would you? I love it. And so she gets to really think about it for a second. She's like, well, before... I was part of the problem, and now I'm part of the solution. Yes. And would I change that? Fuck no. Fuck no. And this is their bond. So that's that's the turning point yep. for her as a person and for them to be able to move forward. To move gaily forward. And form forward. a sacred bond. To move gaily forward. But first, got to go back to the woods. My first note is, oh my God, they're still fighting. Basta, children. <laughs> Basta, children. <laughs> It's just like, enough, enough, we get it. Like, okay, cool, y'all don't like each other, got it. Yeah, yeah, and you know, we get a little funny ending. Glimmer manages to teleport Bo out of Catra's clutches just in time for Scorpia, who is about to sting Bo Mm -hmm. to sting Catra instead. And Scorpia freaks out, and we have the, like, um... We have the cutaway, the scream, the scream. echoed from the distance, yep. and then the th- birds taking off. Like a, yes. it's very, it's, it's it's very filmic. It's a very filmic. Yes, moment. and it's very like final. Yeah, that's wrapping up the end of this plot line. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, we wrap it up with a bang. Yeah, very short, mm-hmm. and then we zip right back over to the watchtower. So we can watch uh, Adora and Swiftwind's sacred bond kick in. Is this our sacred bond? They glow gaily. The power of friendship can do anything. Very glowing gaily. They find the epicenter together. Yes. And Adora uh, has another hold my beer kind of line. Yep. Shira destroyed this place. Now it's up to Shira to fix it. For the honor of Grayskull. And she has a full transformation, so we know this time it's going to work out. Yep. And also, we knew it was only a matter of time for the magically healing loop-de-loops to come into play. So we have Chekhov's loop-de-loops as well. Yeah, and also, you know, it's the uncarved block. It's Swiftwind just being Swiftwind was always going to be helpful. Yep, yep. When it was in its proper context. Yep, yay! Yay! So, Watchtower... Achieved. Watchtower fixed. We, we, we do a quick cut to the Crystal Castle where Light Hope is. <laughs> then I will be back to operate. Good. My sensors indicate <laughs> they fixed it. I love that. Yeah. She finishes the sentence that she started at the beginning yep. of the episode. Yep. And so we have some more uncanny humor for us. And then we have a quick cut over to Bright Moon 
where we're in Glimmer's bedroom. Bo and Glimmer are lying on Glimmer's bed looking totally dejected. Yep, and we have our our ending tag of processing. Yeah, so basically they exchange expositions. Yep, exactly. And Trapped is alive, making weapons to wipe us out. Right, but Adora doesn't know that yet. She just walks in gaily and is like, hey guys, you never guessed what me and my sacred bond did with my horse. Yeah. You know. We fixed a field and we fixed a watchtower and Light Hope's going to restore balance to the planet and oh, what happened to you? And then we have the Oh, Adora, we have a lot to catch you up on. Bum, yes. bum, bum. Yes, now we must share our plot lines with each other. Oh, no. We're tying them together so we can bind the episode up. Oh, I see what she did. Uh, uh, I see that. Waggle, waggle, waggle. <laughs> so, Jenny. So, Matt, what did we learn today? Well, I learned that sometimes when you try too hard, you ruin the thing that you already knew implicitly. That's one thing. Oh, I love that. I also learned that consensual BDSM is way more fun than non-consensual BDSM. Yes, I learned that today as well. Yeah, I learned that right now. Yeah. I never knew. Yeah, just <laughs> no. right now. <laughs> yeah, and we also learned that sometimes learning lessons... One time is not enough. Yeah. Even if you know that the power of friendship is how you're going to win, you might need to learn that lesson a bunch more times before you actually internalize it. I love that. And that's okay. Stepping stones of life. Stepping stones of life. I love that. Thank you. Well, folks, if you liked what you heard and you want to join us in our sacred bond, you can like and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast fix. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at HeyAdoraCast, or you can email us all of our recommendations at HeyAdoraCast at gmail.com. We have a Patreon, y'all. Yeah, we do! You can join us as a member of the Rebellion and get fantastic perks like bonus episodes, our own very private Facebook group and Discord server, exclusive playlists, Patreon-only video hangouts, and so friggin' much more. We have so many really exciting things planned for y'all. Y'all don't even know. Yeah, we do. You do not even know. You can find the link to our Patreon, as well as the link to this week's Spotify playlist, Ties the Bind, in our show notes, or at heyadora.gay. That's right. Dot dot gay. gay! And remember, queer joy is radical. And queer love saves the universe! Ow! Ow, ow! Sacred Bond! Jen and Meph doing a little podcast, because we like to talk about gay stuff on the air. (laughs) Ha 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 ha.